0: You are now listening to bigfoot and beyond featuring the og bad boys of bigfoot the dr heckle and mr jive of squatchology the chip and dale of bigfoot and i'm not talking about the cartoon please welcome your hosts, the bigfoot celebrity couple biff clobo better known as cliff berrickman and james bobo pay cliff hey bobo how you doing man oh uh, fair to middling how about you been on the road for work. I'm glad to be back home. A lot of stuff's been going on, um, and so I figured uh, this would be a great opportunity for us just to kind of get in and just you and I talk for an hour or something like that. No guests today. Just you and I catching up on, on some stuff and talking squatch. Right. Sounds good. What have you been up to, Cliff? Well, um, the, probably one of the more recent things I've done that was a lot of fun and really interesting stuff happened at was, of course, the Texas Bigfoot Conference. Um, held by, you know, Craig Woolheater and and Tammy, Tammy Allen, um, his better half, shall we say. They kind of throw this shindig every year, and I was lucky enough to speak at it last year, and they had a last-minute cancellation of one of the speakers, so they invited me back this year again. And, you know, a good time was had by all, essentially. You did that gig last year with me.
1: Yeah, they didn't invite me back.
0: (laughs) I think they only had one spot, you know? (laughs) And, you know, it being a COVID sort of year, it's, it's a little hard to have um, these things anyway. But, uh, you know, uh, um, Craig and Tammy did a great job. They, they cut the attendance down to half of what it normally should be. Um, pretty much everybody is wearing masks all the time. And yeah, all that sort of stuff. It was, it was a fun event. But, you know, it was kind of like the regular cast of characters and a few new faces. Of course, I was there and uh, Lyle was there. Lyle Blackburn and uh, Ken Gerhard spoke. Shelly Copington Montana was there. And, and then uh, Leah Fisher, a children's book a- author, was also there. Uh, she spells her name L-I-J-A, but I believe it's Leah pronouncing it. So that's kind of cool. Got to meet her and another gentleman um, who had been sa- uh, investigating Sasquatches for decades. A guy I've, I've actually honestly never heard of, um, but a guy named um, Ed Owens. Was there, and he uh, did a lot of investigations. I think back in the seventies, so he was really interesting to speak to. That's why I, I like the the old timers who were doing. I think it. I met that guy. You might have. He's been on the scene. I mean, yeah, Ed Owens. Yeah, I've, I've talked to him before. Yeah, he was a total source of wealth of information. Yeah. Yeah. I like, the, I like the ones that have been bigfooting up for a generation or two before me and, you know, and you essentially too. Uh, I like that generation because uh, not a lot of it was written down. I mean, the, the big names wrote everything down, but there's all these like smaller names that just kind of got lost to history, but th- there's such a wealth of information. Right. How was the weather down there? Oh, it was nice. It was too. It was totally cool. It, uh, j- just about perfect. You know, it was just getting cold here in Portland when I went out there, but it was like 70 or s- something like that. 75, not too hot, not too cold. It's just right. But you know what? Really cool stuff happened out there. Really neat stuff happened out there. Um, probably the most notable, um, in my opinion is, uh, there, uh, well, let me back up a bit. Um, this past year, in 2020, you know, which has been such a dumpster fire in so many ways, a couple good things have happened. There were property owners outside of Tyler, Texas that I got to meet. And they want to remain anonymous, um, so uh, we just refer to them as uh, John and Jane Doe. So John and Jane are the names I'll use for these people. Um, it's not the real names, of course. But anyway, I guess basically they moved into this house about a year ago and Sasquatches were already living there and they had no idea about this Bigfoot thing. Like they they were, they're kind of cute, actually, uh, kind of adorable in their um, naivete because they, they had, they were blown away that there was a Bigfoot community, for example, like total newcomers, totally green to this subject. It was really neat. But um, basically uh, these guys, these people, this family moved into this property and uh, you know, the, the trees came up to the house and the whole, th- it, it was a, it was a, rather new house, but out there in the woods and the woods went right up to their doorstep. Well, it doesn't do that anymore. They cleared the land. And of course, you know what that does? to local Bigfoots when property owners come in and start clearing the land, the other Bigfoots start acting up a bit. So over this year, uh, Basically, weird stuff was happening. I'll just say that like, weird stuff that they couldn't quite figure out was happening. Uh, and then I guess they were in their car together. I think they just got home from somewhere or just got in the car to leave somewhere at night. And something shook the car quite violently. And they well, what, what the hell is that about? Right. Uh, and then about a month later. They didn't see anything? No, no, they didn't see anything. They got out of the car and everything and didn't see anything at all. But he said it was the weirdest thing. It was like a you know a, a 7.0 earthquake happened or something, and their car just shook ridiculously violently. But keep in mind, the wood line came right up to their house at that time, and the, therefore the cars, you know? So it could have easily just stepped off into the woods if that was a Sasquatch, which it probably was. Because about a month after that event, John Doe was went out to his car, you know, uh, to get like a can of chew or something like that. I forget, you know, some chewing tobacco. And um, his car's parked there in the driveway, and about fif- ten, fifteen feet away, his wife's car is parked there, and she has one of those Suburbans or something like that, like a big SUV sort of thing, but a sub- suburban size deal. And um, he's out there in the dark, you know. He gets his chew out, he shuts the door, and he he looks over, and it's, it's pretty dark, you know. I mean, but the moon's out and stuff, so. He sees what he thinks is a grocery bag on the back right-hand corner of his wife's Suburban, like on the, on the roof. He goes, well, that's weird. What is that doing there? And he kind of looks at it. And a second or two after he looks at it, the th- it starts moving, basically. And he goes, what, and, you know, like what in the world is that? It, it, and it goes behind the Suburban and it picks up speed. And eventually it's running at him. The thing rounds the corner of the car and runs at him. And, it, and it's obviously it scared the hell out of him. Just, and of course, it's, it's Texas, right? So he takes out his firearm and he unloads five rounds into the thing. Uh, And he thought it was a seven and a half foot tall man come to rob him, come to break into his house or car or kill him or something. But there's this huge shadow of a seven and a half foot human running at him in the moonlight. So he empties five rounds into this thing. Uh, He called it center mass. And then I guess for hunters and military folks, that's quite meaningful. Uh, But basically he shot it in the middle of the thing. So he's Pretty sure he hit it, although it is a panicky situation. And it was a nine millimeter, too, to my own ad. And the thing just kind of veers off and bolts into the woods. And he hears it breaking branches and stuff. And the whole nine, man, just a horrible, like horrifying situation. And of course, his his wife and kids are in the house and they they go, What in the world's going on? Because they heard shots fired. And they said, "Um, Stay inside. I think I just shot a man or whatever. And um, he calls the cops and tells them. And, uh, and so, okay, we'll keep an eye. He says, well, I think I just shot a guy that I think he was trying to rob me or whatever. It's all right. Well, we'll keep an eye on the hospitals and stuff. And no call ever comes in. Cause you know, if you show up to a hospital with the bullet wound, the, the hospital is legally obligated to tell the police about it, you know? Um, but nothing ever happened. So the guy calls his dad and his brother that lived, you know, down the road, I guess. And they're on their way over. They finally arrive. And well, in the meantime, the guy goes back into his house before his, uh, his family arrives, he goes back into his house to check on his wife and kids. And then something pounds the outside of his house Just boom, 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 three big, loud house rocking knocks on the outside of his house. And he's just like, what is the, what in the world? Right. Um, and his wife's saying like, he's trying to get you back outside. Don't go outside. And and so he got his deer hunting rifle and a big old light and his dad and his brother showed up and they look all around. Um, and they, they don't see anything, but they do find two things left behind. Number one is blood on the ground, which of course is a lost opportunity. But again, remember this guy's thinking I shot a man, essentially a, a seven and a half foot tall man. And then um, where the thing was standing on the back near the back corner of the suburban, there was a big nose print on the very top part of the glass of the suburban. And he goes, well, and it goes, well, look at that, you know, and and that's kind of it. You know, that's that was last February. Well, all's quiet on the property um th- th- weird things happen they hear weird noises maybe some stuff has moved around in the yard but like kind of the subtle weird stuff that you wouldn't notice unless you were uh, you know a bigfooter or something like that and it's all pretty much quiet until until the 5th of october when uh i'd have to check my my notes again but basically they're coming back in the house from being outside in the morning and there's a giant face print on the glass screen door of their home, at the very, very top of the, of the door itself, a big old face print on a glass screen door. And so uh, Mike Waldy, a local investigator, um, and some other of his uh, partners went out there and checked it out. And he took a couple measurements for it, for me, actually, I asked him to measure how tall, how far above the ground it was. Um, and in the picture, you see the wife looking up at it. And the wife's about as tall as I am. You know, uh, Jane is about as tall as I am. Um, so she's looking up at it. And it turns out that from the nose to the ground, it was about, I think it was six and a half feet off the ground, from the nose all the way to the ground. And of course, there, there was a forehead above it and hints of a mouth as well. And I heard about this. Like, oh, that's fantastic. I saw a couple photographs of it, it's a really neat opportunity. I guess uh, the the best part about it is that um, John and Jane came to the Texas conference and they brought the glass with them. They actually removed the glass from the door and brought it in. So, I mean, it was it was eye candy for a lot of people to actually see physical evidence of of a possible Sasquatch. Yeah, and of course, when they found this face print that they, they, they kind of put two and two together and then they call, they reached out to the BFRO, actually. And um, the, then the report ended up with these other guys. They brought the glass into the Texas conference so people got a chance to see it and whatnot. But of course, you know, Shelly C- to Montana is going to be there. And she, like her whole gig is like collect more evidence, be more scientific. And like she sells, last year, a couple of years ago, she was selling these evidence collection kits in the whole nine. So I called her up and say, hey, well, let's, take samples because if you remember flashback to our, uh, Doug Highcheck episode, he was saying that he wants samples of that white crusty stuff, or no, I mean not crusty, but like that white, white oily residue that these things leave when they touch stuff. Well, like a week later, this falls down from the heavens into our lap. Well, yeah. So I called Shelly and said, Hey, Shelly, this is a really cool opportunity. Let's do this. Right. You know, and she brought down, um, her evidence collection stuff and, and, uh, we we decided we were going to try to lift it like a fingerprint after we took DNA like sterile DNA samples. So, um, she- Shelley brought down some like sterile swabs and whatever. Like, I took some of the samples of the of the the white oily residue on the glass. Um, I tried to just take it from the corners. Of course, I got uh, about six samples of that stuff. I'm going to be sending those off to Doug at some point because again, he wants to test two you samples. Sure the razor no no a sterile gauze like a, a sterile gauze you know like a q-tip sort of thing that you see at the doctors those things but um yeah they're sterile etc so we just have them they're in my fridge right now actually um Can you put some liquid on it first like some clear water this stuff that makes it loosen up and get on it i talked to doug about it because yeah i talked to doug he just said you know just swab it and then um, put it uh, in a sterile situation and um and refrigerate it until I, until i get back to you so that's what I did. I just followed his directions, whatever he wants, because um, uh, Doug wants to test it not only for DNA, but also for uh, um, chemical composition to see how it differs from uh, other ape species and humans. Right. So uh, I took two samples for for Doug there. Um, but anyway, after we took those samples, we lifted the whole face print. Um, and, and I actually I, I literally have it here in my hand as I'm speaking to you. It isn't really that big. So I kind of have to wonder, like, well, maybe it's not a Sasquatch. but at the same time, what what else? Because uh, they, they know they're around there, but I don't know. So it's going to be interesting to see what see what, if anything, comes from this. Um, it was definitely an exciting thing to do, and got kind of uh, Shelly and I got to like uh, flex our our, our evidence collecting muscles a little bit, and and um, she helped out tremendously with what I needed, you know, and and I tried to help her in any way that she needed. Um, it was great. So we'll see what comes out of this, if anything. Now, um, I was thinking about this. I have heard, I, I know I have uh, in, in my files somewhere, I, I don't even know where to begin looking for them. I think I have another face print from somewhere, like just photographs. Certainly there are handprints and you know other marks and whatever, fingerprints on glass and stuff. But are you aware of any other face prints? God, I mean, I've heard so many stories of that. I know. I, I, there is one from Florida. You're not talking about the bridges. Maybe it was the bridge's property, but it wasn't not the handprint on the glass. There was another time with some sort of face on there
1: I think they had a face print too, and then
0: I mean, I've talked to several different people that have had face prints on their windows or sliding doors. yeah, it was uh, I, it was impressive to look at but again, not not as large as I, I pictured it, but um it was impressive to look at nonetheless. Stay tuned for more. Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Sonidos of our music. Sonidos of our voices.
1: Sonidos of our stories. Listen to the sounds and voices of Latin music and culture with Pandora stations like RMX, La Vida en Pop, El Pulso and Satellites, and podcasts like Ruby Rosa and more. From music to stories, all that we are is in the sonidos of our culture. Listen now on Pandora. So you went to Texas anything else eventful, have anything cool come up at the museum you know, and walk in with something surprising or
0: interesting. Oh, well, you know, I mean, uh, I got to see some, um, some footprints that I, I, I still think are fake, you know, I, um, uh, some stuff out of Arkansas, um, but it, I, uh, the guys who got the cast were there and they were kind enough to let me, um, examine the prints. And I, I still think they're fake. And I think we disagree on that. Um, the owners of the cast and myself, but that's all right. Uh, but I saw some telltale markers that just kind of solidified it for me by looking at the messier of the prints. Because, you know, um, when you're looking at footprint casts, everybody's looking for the clean ones, you know, like the Hereford cast or something like that. But it's, those aren't the ones that tell you the story. The, the messy casts are the ones that tell you so much more about the authenticity or the, the inner workings of the foot or any of these things. You know, the messy casts are always the most interesting people say, Oh, it was, it was, too messy. So I didn't cast it. And I've done the same thing, by the way. I'm I'm only, I'm throwing stones from inside my, my glass house with all sorts of broken windows here. Um, but yeah, the messy casts are the ones that should be collected. I mean, yeah, pretty ones and clean ones are great, but it's those other ones that tell the story. So I got to see those casts. That was, that was kind of cool. I appreciate the, the guys bringing them down there for me to see. Um, Yeah. And other than that, just hung out with Craig and Tammy. That was great. And I hung out with uh, Mike Wally. He was a really good guy and uh, enjoyed hard time with him. This has not been a good year for conferences. You know, last year, I think I did 21 or 22 conferences, which is is really honestly too many. Um, But this year, I think I did three. So uh, I'm not seeing my friends um, with any regularity like I did last, like I have been the last couple of years. I went from 14 to two. Yeah. And I, and I love Texas and I love Texans, you know, so going down there, it's, it's, it's really nice. Everybody's so kind and friendly and I see them every year or two and you know, it, it's just really nice. And so I had a, I had a good time.
1: We have to pull a rug and move ourselves down there and do our podcast from Texas.
0: <laughs> well, you know, if our tax situation ever forces us to move like that, then sure. But I don't think we're, we're not, we're not quite to that level yet, Bob's. No, I'm not worried about that. I had some fun in the last
1: couple of weeks. What have you been doing? Well, I went out to Kentucky and then I went to West Virginia. I saw a turtle man, hung out with the turtle man, filmed some stuff with him for his new YouTube channel. He's going to use a couple of clips from when you and I messed around with him in the woods a while back too. I did some solo stuff with him, but I was really out of it that day. I hadn't slept in days and my teeth were killing me and, I was like, God, I want to give
0: him more, but it should, it, he's, he's so freaking entertaining that it doesn't matter who he's with. He's going to make it hilarious. Yeah. He's a weird guy, man. The yee 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 stuff, and he's nuts. It, it, it's, it's like, he, he's not an actor. That's him. I think he's pretty normal, really. It's just cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't mean nuts like insane. I mean, yeah, maybe I, I should qualify that better. He's an eccentric, energetic person. <laughs> How's that for being a little bit more concise? Yeah. <laughs>
1: He's an individual. He's very, very original.
0: <laughs> so I understand that uh, you, you have uh, um, some dental work done, or you're going to have some dental work done this week. Is that accurate?
1: Dude, Seven thirty tomorrow. I got to pull two. They said it's seventy thirty that they wouldn't survive even if I freaking. I mean, I can't afford root canals anyways. There's nothing I can do except for get them pulled. I mean, I spent $23,000 in one year. That was the last of my money from doing the show. It's like, well, I'll just take all my money and fix my teeth that stuff didn't even last three years and the stuff i got in mexico lasted 10 years
0: at like one twenty seventh the cost in mexico oh yeah i forgot your your tijuana dentist i totally forgot about that guy sounds like this is an opportunity for bobo story time cue music well gather around
1: it's bobo story time dude he's gonna say some things that'll blow your mind classic and if you say he's lying he's gonna kick you behind for sure
0: once again it's bobo story time any description of felonious or criminal activity is being told here strictly for entertainment purposes and is in no way an admission of guilt or even true for that matter
1: when i was a commercial fisherman i got diesel poisoning one i didn't get seasick for 10 years and i was sleeping below decks when the uh, exhaust Outtake for the diesel engine, engine room broke, and I was sleeping up in the forecastle and it was super rough seas, dude. It was sustained 45 knot winds, 15 feet at eight seconds, just super close together, sloppy. And I was in the forecastle and I was sleeping, and it was this this boat was so jerry-rigged. And there was just a I, since I was the greenhorn on the boat, I was the new guy. They uh my bunk from the torso down was in the engine room. And then the, from the waist up was in the folks. and it was cut out of a piece of plywood that was nailed up there, that was like the barrier between the two rooms. And then there was like a, some thick kind of cloth hanging down. So it drape over your body to keep the fumes in there. Like it had a plastic coating. So I was sleeping there. So I, I was sleeping just naked from the waist down. Cause it's so freaking hot in the engine room. And then I, from the waist up, I had, I had a jacket and you know, it's bundled up in, the, in a sleeping bag and stuff. And I I would fall asleep and I woke up and I was so sick and I couldn't move. I couldn't move. Honestly, I, I could not move. I was just frozen. I was so, it was the sickest I could, I was ever been. It was but a different kind of sickness and it, and it hurt and it made your body hurt like head to toe. And I was laying there for about 45 minutes, just breathing this stuff, getting worse and worse. And I was dozing in and out, like not dozing, but just losing consciousness in and out. And one of the dudes came down the grass on out of the forecastle, and he opened the door of the hatch up above to come down the ladder. And this rush, it was February, so it was pretty cold out. It was probably about 38 degrees or something with the wind chill, was, you know, below freezing. And so this cold air blast, because these guys were chainsawers, so they always kept the, the uh, door open to the cabin and then they'd keep one of the windows in the front open. So there was a constant cr- crosswind. And I just remember just that. When that fresh air hit me, I jumped up, grabbed my um, rain slicker jacket, ran out on the deck, no pants on, just blowing chow everywhere, and then blasting diarrhea. And I was curled up, fetal position, on the bow. I went up in the bow to get uh, away from. Me. Those guys were throwing stuff at me, laughing and laughing, taking pictures, and they all said I was the green like. I saw, I don't know what happened to the picture, but there was a picture of me with a literally a green face. It was pre Photoshop. This is back in the 90s. But I was, you've always heard like, I turned green or he turned green. I'd never seen it until I did it. And I was green, dude. And I laid on that deck for about 20 hours. I, I, I definitely had hypothermia setting in. I laid up there just with waters crashing over me. And I was just puking and like, this sounds disgusting, but like, I didn't use any toilet paper or nothing. And I just blasted all over the deck, puked everywhere. Like my, and then I started dry heaving real bad. And then I, I just couldn't move. The, and they, I, I freaking could have died. And those guys could care less. And they were just laughing at me. And they'd like, throw breadcrumbs at me or crackers or whatever. And, and I would have whipped their asses, any of those guys, if, if uh, I wasn't sick right then. I mean, I, they were kicking a man when he was down. That was for sure. They, they just thought it was hilarious. They thought you were just seasick
0: or whatever instead of poisoned with diesel.
1: No, I told them. Because when they opened the hatch, the diesel blew out blew out on them, so anyways, from that day on, I started getting sick every day every day I went on the boat, I'd puke the first day out, and then I'd get used to it, and I'd be fine for the rest of the trip. But for years of that, like if someone like in a diesel truck accelerated like from a stop sign in front of me or a, like a bus or an eighteen wheeler i would sometimes I would just just automatically puke I'd just have to have my head out the window and just aim and just just projectile vomit. So, anyways, I ended up screwing up my. I had cracked teeth from a crab block broke free in the storm one time. You know the big 400 pound metal wheel that spins; it pulls the pot up off the bottom. It's called the block, even though it's a wheel, because you call the propeller the wheel, and you call the block, which is a metal wheel, the block. So, anyways, like a tackling block, the old school and This is hydraulic. So I'm running. I'm running it up, and the oh god, the lock arm, whatever they call it, that, holds it up. Snapped and it swung, and the block swung up and just caught me right across the side of the face, cracked my palate, broke a bunch of teeth, fractured my eye socket, and knocked me across. Dude, I seriously, my buddy Snuddy was the deckhand, he was right there. I flew across the deck like a cartoon or something. Like I, I got lifted up my feet a couple feet and flew about 14 feet, I think it is, across the deck. Or 16 feet and flew across the deck and landed into a big tub of thawed-out uh squid bait that was half half frozen, half slush. I landed in that and I was knocked out for like five minutes. And my skipper came out, I came to screamed at me to get up and quit laying down on the job as I was like choking on blood and stuff. So it didn't it didn't knock into the teeth, but it shattered them, cracked them and stuff, like where they were like in pieces. And so then over the years, when I puke every day at work. And like, I didn't have a lot of times, like when I was puking, I didn't have time to like rinse my mouth or I try to brush my teeth and stuff, but usually you're working so hard so fast. You don't have a chance. You just wear your ring or you just puke and just gets all over you, but it just washes off the next wave, crashes over the rail. So you don't even worry about it. So anyways, my teeth were just thrashed and I got hit in the face with a surfboard, a heavy glass, like big wave gun board, had like triple six glass on it, six ounce glass. So it it was a big, heavy board. It smacked me on the other side of the face and cracked like four teeth there that crab block cracked five so yeah so i've already had three pulled that just rotted out from the inside out from all the cracks well i tried to save them and stuff i spent a bunch of money on so this this is going to be a two-parter for bobo story
0: time (laughs) tune in next week to the surprising conclusion of this bobo story time so then i um i did the dental work and i was you know looking into like going
1: overseas and i had this this girl I knew was going to hook me up with her cousin who was Romanian dentist. So I was going to go to Romania. I was like, oh, that's rad. That's going to be killer. But then I, just scheduling, because the show was kicking off. Um, the reason I thought about this was because uh, my Facebook memory from 10 years ago today, like uh, a month ago, was this story. So that's why I remembered it. But, um, God, what's my dentist name? Jeez, how could I forget? We call him the Mexican Roy Orbison. He looked just like Roy Orbison, but smaller Okay, let me I'm jumping in the story. So I called my buddy Ron Berto down in San Diego. He's like a full-on, like a full Mexican, like he's Mexican-American, but he was born in Tijuana. He lived there when he was little and he moved to the U.S. His family still lives in Tijuana. Like, we've been to his grandpa's house down there and stuff. He's dialed in, like he's connected down there. And his fiance, who's a Mexican gal, her uncle was a dentist who lived in San Diego but would go across to his practice in Tijuana. Well, he had... Got a liver transplant because he was a partier, I found out. He's a really interesting cat. He was on the, I think it was 1972 and 19, he was either 68 and 70. I know it was 72, then either 76 or 68. He was on the Mexican polo team for the Olympics, and he was on the international team for polo. And he was this little mild meat guy. And polo is actually, you, know, you think of it as kind of being a yuppie, whatever thing, but polo's gnarly swinging those mallet clubs and hitting those rock hard balls and blasting you know like i mean people get killed doing that so he was but you wouldn't know because he was so mild-mannered but he had a liver transplant and i was his first patient in like six and a half months and his family didn't want him to do it but he really wanted to do it he really wanted to fix your teeth like he he, with his dentist practice that's what i thought but so anyways romberto called him in and uh he set it up, so I said, oh, cool. So I went down to San Diego, hooked up with Romberto. We uh, go pick him up because he wasn't allowed to drive. So we picked this guy up this some apartment in San Diego, like a nice little one-bedroom place. And his wife was like, don't you be careful. He just had a liver transplant. He shouldn't be doing this. I don't want him to do it. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to do it. i got to make some money. So we go down there. First date, it's a all-time record hottest day in Mexican for Tijuana history. It was 115 and his shop, his dental practice, was a bootleg diesel mechanic shop upstairs. So you just smelled diesel like I was before. I how sick. That makes me so. There was just, and there was a bus station right outside the door, and the power kept cutting in and out. And so he turned, and he had these big plate glass windows, like twelve feet tall, that along the wall for light. And then we get in there, and the bar, and the dentist chairs there, and the, where the spit thing, the spit bowl, where you spit out. Had dried blood and mucus all over it. The light, you know, they pull that light over your mouth, the handles, dried blood all over it. I mean, it was not looking too sanitary. It wasn't even legal in Mexico, but he was a licensed dentist and he was a good dentist. I mean, because the stuff lasted a long time. But uh, so we go down there and it's just hot as hell. I was like, oh my God. And he gave me some shots and he gave me, he said, I'll take these pills. And I don't even know what they were. Like, so I was pretty feeling no pain. And he went to town worked on my teeth for seven and a half hours and he's all like, let's go to dinner all right he's wanting a party and he just got a new liver and he's like oh yeah let's get some let's go to this bar i know and, and he grew up in uh well he grew up in guadalajara but he had been in tijuana for 40 years or something 30 years so he was pretty connected we go out and we go to like a nice seafood restaurant and he's wanting to go party and he's trying to order drinks at the table and we're like no we told your wife we wouldn't Anyways, we drive back to San Diego. Next morning, we get up again, drive back down. He does a bunch more work. I went, like, oh, so my car, I had, a, I had a gas leak, like a little leak in my tank was dripping out. And I was like, well, she, it's going to be expensive to get that fixed. And I was on a budget. So I was like, well, I'll get my car fixed. So we set it up to drop my car for the mechanics in Tijuana while we were doing that. And then we took a cab to the dental office, did that, got out. It was another day just grinding, grinding, grinding. Oh, and his dental assistant? was this this pretty, really pretty girl and she didn't do anything like dental assisting. Her job was to hold my hand and comfort me. <laughs> <laughs> so we pick her up we go to, and she, <laughs> so we go back and then, yeah, Ron Berto wasn't there this day. It was just me. He got, cause he's got his stuff done and I knew how to go down there. Mm-hmm. So it was just me and the dentist and we dropped off the, her after work and we're going back, we go get dinner and then we're coming back to the US side and, he had like this express pass for like professionals. You don't have to go in that big, you don't have to wait in those like five, eight hour lines. It's like a 20 to 40 minute wait. So we're in that line. For some reason he was driving. Oh, cause I was pretty pilled out. He was driving and I'm, I'm in the passenger seat and I got the window down and I'm still pretty out of it. And I, I noticed in the rearview mirror, I see like a SWAT team and a, and a canine like jamming out coming up behind me to some cars behind me. Then I see, then I I look out the other side. Look, turn around, look out on the driver's side. There's guys running up, fully automatic weapons, like full tactical gear, freaking out. And the the canine, German Shepherd or Belgian Malinois, lot, like all of a sudden they're, they're right up on the side of the truck, like they're right up on our. And this canine launches in the window and snaps, like inches from my face, and the guy pulls it back. And they're like screaming, pointing. There's like I'm not exaggerating, twenty freaking Mexican commandos, with assault rifles pointed at our heads screaming at us in spanish and the dentist he can't move that good i think he snuck some drinks because he was kind of out of it and i'm like what the hell is it like, and this guy comes over and tries to yank me out of the car so they pull me out when i'm getting out i stumble because my foot gets stuck on the on the seat belt. and as i fell i grabbed onto of these guys and i pulled down three of the commandos like i it looked like i just tackled them and so they come up, and someone hits me with a gun butt. I get hit with a couple of gun butts, and then thank God the dog didn't get me. I'm like, I'm on Los Santo, Los Santo. I can't believe they didn't shoot me or beat the hell out of me. But there was a lot of there's people taking pictures and stuff. So I guess, and it turned out there's uh, at the border there's these chemical like and nuclear detectors that scan the air constantly, like super sensitive, looking for explosives or nuclear material going across the border. And when, they, when those guys had fixed my gas tank, they used some kind of compound, like like crazy glue or something, that causes chemical reaction, a toxic, a poison to emit, and it set off the alarm. And, the, and this guy, I noticed this guy was uh, walking around. He had some kind of wand thing, but he wasn't dressed like a cop. He was dressed like, a pet, like a, one of those street peddlers, you know, selling blankets or statues or whatever. And I guess he walked by my car and determined that it was coming out of my exhaust. So they came out and they dragged us into the um, police station right there, and were threatening us and this and that and that. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. They said oh, we had explosives, so they, of course they're pulling my truck apart. And it, it, but this time we i have had them do that before. They just leave you. They, they put ours back together, which was—I've never had that because I've had them pull my rigs apart down there before. They just go, all right, beat it. And you're sitting there with like all your paneling torn off, you know, your tires off, you know, like seats torn out, like all that kind of stuff. And they put it all back together because I guess his family is pretty prominent and he actually had the mayor's phone number in his
0: cell phone and he called the mayor or whatever and call, he called some people. Well, you know, I, I think that everyone listening, uh, we're all walking away with the same lesson, you know, is basically the importance of dental hygiene and like dental health, brush them, floss them. <laughs> Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages.
1: I'm aware of two new videos. Really? Squatch videos. Yep. West Virginia and Ohio. Really? Okay. Can you can you tell? Can you say anything about them or no? I've only seen stills of the Ohio one, but they're daylight, um, basically head to toe. The ones I saw, what happened was the guy's phone ran out nine seconds into it, but he got on Facebook, um, FaceTime with somebody, and he was filming. So like the backwards count, which isn't that good was holding up the phone, pointing at the squatch, and recording the screen of his FaceTime or no, she was recording the FaceTime screen screen at her place with her cell phone off her computer. So it's like, what I saw was, so it's not the best quality, but um, you can see, I don't know how big it was, but it, I'd love to get out there and do a size comparison
0: well, what's the other film?
1: I don't know. I just got a message today saying, hey, we got good video. I met the guy. Actually, I, I when I was out there, was this last trip, I went and met the dude. And they had some still photos and stuff that looked intriguing enough to get my interest. And then after I left, he told me, we wanted to make sure you were legitimate and not a hoaxer or not trying to rob us or take advantage of us. So now I trust you. You can see it. I'm like, dude, I just flew 3000 miles back home. So, and I had a free plane ticket. So I I, I think I would have enough miles to get another ticket if I flew like red-eye coach or something to get back there.
0: So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. West Virginia is just one of those States, man. I mean, there's a lot of squatchy places in the, on, in the country, in the continent. Uh, but West Virginia is high on that list. There's just so much land out there and, it's a lot of topography, you know, that topography, you know, um, increases the surface area where Sasquatches can get food. You know, it's not like a square mile situation. It's like a, you know, um, one square mile on a map could probably be a mile and a half or something, square, uh, you know, in each direction um, of just ground surface area because of all the wrinkles and whatnot that essentially translated to hills and mountains. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it very well, but do you understand what I'm trying to say?
1: Yeah, it's like a, If you look overhead, like a satellite view of the Himalayas, but then you flatten them out over square miles, it's giant.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, more square miles of surface area. All right, Bobes, I, I thought we'd finish up the podcast here with kind of a, a thing we can do every once in a while. Um, so I have, a, I have these cards. Uh, they were in possession of Barbara Wasson, who um, was a very well-known researcher, particularly back in the 70s. She wrote that book, uh, Sasquatch at yeah, Sasquatch apparitions. Um, she was a psychologist. Uh, she was an, a tracker, a, a naturalist, an outdoors person all around, um, and, and and again, an early Bigfoot researcher. She was in contact with uh, John Green and all the early Renee Hinden Peter Byrne, and all those all those guys, right? Um, and back in the day, the way they they used to distribute sighting reports around, it's almost like a Um, An analog version of the BFRO in a way. Uh, John Green would write to people or vice versa and say, "Okay, if you guys hear about a sighting report, write down the the important stuff on a card. um, And within a week of hearing it, hearing about it, you know, send it to me, send a copy to me. And then once a month, what he would do is take everybody's submission and then basically Xerox them into these eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper and then send those out to everybody who participated. You know, it's kind of a, a networking sort of way back in snail mail days. Well, I've got a bunch of these cards that uh, were in Barbara Watson's collection. So I, I grabbed a stack of them and I thought it'd be kind of fun just to kind of go through and read a, read a couple of them. Barbara uh, organized her her notes and whatever by region. I happened to have grabbed the British Columbia pile. Um, I've got a pile for California, Oregon, Washington and B.C. I happened to have grabbed the BC one. So I thought I'd just choose three or four of these things and read them to you guys. And and uh, if you have anything to say about it, or if I do, we'll just talk about that for a minute. All right. So let's see. Cut the deck here. First one I'm grabbing in here um, is dated 1928. And August is what we have. George Taleo, Bella Coola, British Columbia, shot at an ape on a hill above South Beninic Uh, Inlet, latitude 52 degrees, 12 minutes, 10 seconds. Longitude, 126 degrees, uh, 55 minutes, 13 seconds. Elevation, 1,500 feet. Informant said that the creature had a great deal of droppings covered out of sight. Did not try to recover body. And then it says computer master log with um, the contact information of Mr. Taleo. Huh. Kind of cool that they're doing latitude and longitude like that. Yeah, you know, that guy's not around to follow up with. No, I don't think so. I I, I need to check the notes because I I have letters written from John to all the investigators who are involved in this. I want to verify that. All right. Well, I'm going to go and grab another card out of the stack here. This is also British Columbia. Um, Olson is the name next to it who uh, investigated it. And it says 1925 or 1930, August Oh, the last one was August, and it was right in there, too. 1928 for the last one. Um, Joe Robinson tells experience of his father, 25 miles west by south of Clem British Columbia, latitude 52 degrees, 36 uh, minutes, longitude 129 degrees, 6 minutes, elevation 200 feet. Two juvenile Sasquatches seen. The two creatures were playing together, As they approached a lake, the observer shot at them and then blacked out. Well, that's odd. Why would he do that? I wonder. Well, there's some some fodder for the woo crowd, right? Yeah.
1: Um, Are you done yet? I just had the scariest happening. Anyway, okay. I'll be home in like six, seven minutes. Bye.
0: Bye. Uh, I think Monkey just had another catastrophe. Oh, uh, that's what, the, that that's what scared her. Yeah. All right, well, let, let's get out of this so you can go take care of that. Oh, you
1: okay. know, what, hey, let's put this in for the, this, this is going, this will just take a minute. I was on the road for 11 days gone. I had prior engagements I couldn't get out of and monkey was, you know, hurting. And after I left, she quit eating and about, uh, I was gone five days and she finally ate again. She ate one more time that she didn't eat for six days until I came home the vet said she was just hanging on, probably till I got home to die. So I get home, she didn't even lift her head up. She was just so no tail wag, nothing. And then after a couple hours, she got up and walked. And, oh, her arthritis is out of control. Her and her back legs aren't working right, and her front left shoulders totally jacked up. Like she's she's in a lot of pain. But we 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 got her tons of pain pills now, and all kinds of different stuff she's pretty miserable. It seemed like for, for over the weekend. And then today it was another monkey, monkey bounce back. Like her legs and everything are still bad. And her today, dude, she was trying to play ball again. I mean, she, she was falling down and stuff, but she just laid in the grass for a couple hours and just chewed the ball rolling on her back. And she loves to do that roll on the ball. But so monkey's still alive and kicking. And I get a lot of, I get a lot of messages from people saying they pray for her all the time. So I thank you very much. It's, your prayers are helping because the vet
0: said she's never seen anything like this. She said she can't believe monkeys alive. Well, you know you are what she eat, and with all those tennis balls that she's chew- chewed on through the years, I mean that, that's what's contributing to her bouncing back like this. Monkey's a trooper. She's had a good run too. So, yeah, I try to be more like a dog. Yeah, not a dirty dog. Good, good boy. Yeah, <laughs> good boy. You are a good boy, Bobs. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh. All right, man.
1: Take us out. Okay. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of Bigfoot Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We appreciate the support. Hit like, share, tell your friends and neighbors about us. Let's get this thing popping until next week. Keep her squatchy.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes,